yeah, you can stand in front of people. Maybe you can motivate and inspire people, but until they know you actually care about them, you're only going to go so far. And so the, the, the whole point that I'm trying to get to is my whole life through sports or stuff in school or fraternity in college or stuff on campus. I, w- I had all these leadership titles, but then now I'm in this sweet spot where because I graduated college, I'm, I'm a quote freshman, you know, I'm, I'm at the bottom right. of the totem pole. Um, and so I'm in this sweet spot where I assume I'll be leading formally. You're a leader, whether you have a title or not, let me get that clear, but I'll be leading formally at some point, maybe forever. But right now, as I'm in this sweet spot, I'm just soaking it all in. I want to learn as much about, about business and marriage and fatherhood. And I really think that I, I feel like God made it pretty clear to me, like, Hey, I've got you in this spot where you can almost be selfish for a minute so mm-hmm. that you can lead yourself so that you can lead other people. Hey, everybody, it's your host, Hampton Dorch. And today's episode is a recording of me on the Stephen Corson podcast. Stephen is somebody I've gotten to know recently, and he is helping people build what he calls true wealth, which really focuses on, yes, financial wealth, but also time wealth, social wealth, and health wealth. And that's what his podcast and his mission and his business is all about. And so he had me on his podcast and I think we had a great conversation. So I wanted you to be able to listen to that. I'm going to put some links to all of his stuff below. He's definitely somebody that you're going to want to follow. So check him out. Also, this podcast is sponsored by Henry's Coffee. So if you're in Birmingham, stop by, grab yourself some. If you're not, get some from online. Otherwise, let's get to the episode. It's time for you and me to wake up and leave. Guys, I'm bringing the party to you. Tonight. I was way off. Hold on to your butts. What's up, heroes? And welcome to the Stephen Corson Show, where we discuss financial strategies, habits, and mindset to get you to your first 100K and then get you to your first million, all in the pursuit of true wealth and modern freedom. Oh, the Mamma Jamma from Alabama, Hampton Dorch is here. Yes, I just came up with that literally right now, okay? But feel free, Hampton, to use it. <laughs> Thanks for jumping on, man. I'll take it. I love it. It's funny because LinkedIn has helped me meet lots of people, usually not from Alabama. And before the call, I can tell if, they, or when they ask where I'm from, I can tell if if they kind of already knew or not. Because when I say Alabama, it's usually like, oh, okay, I haven't spent much time there. I'm like, hey, it is great here. My my wife's from San Diego, and so her family is always like making fun of Alabama. But hey, don't <laughs> knock it till you try it, especially in Birmingham. Come Come visit us, everybody. That's right. It, what is she a military brat? Uh, no, she came here for college. She came to oh, a small private okay. Christian school I went to called Samford, not Stanford, Samford. I know um, Samford. Okay. Okay. So yeah, Are she they came in the here. Same division as um, what? What is it? Pepperdine and um, there's another one. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of my wife's school, uh, Azusa Pacific. I don't think so. Samford's okay. in the SoCon. Um, okay. All right. That, that might be a different one. My wife went to a college. She was from Milwaukee, but she went out to California and went to Azusa Pacific. And I, it's so sad to hear this whenever you find out about her college experience. But she was unfortunately a straight A student. And because of that, just studied all the time like a nerd and never went to the beach and was living oh, in Orange County. I'm like, lame. <laughs> oh, so lame. Like missed opportunities. <laughs> oh, so that's great. man. So what, what did you get your degree in and what are you doing now? So I studied marketing. My claim to fame is that I think I am 
maybe the only flat marketing major I know of from Sanford, meaning normally it's, you know, in the business school and I'm joking, this is not something to brag about academically. <laughs> Most people majored in, you know, accounting, finance, econ. I was like, not going to do accounting or econ. Those don't even make sense to me. Finance, like, okay, I could see myself trying to be a finance guy, but after a few like 201 finance classes, I, I was struggling a little bit, wasn't feeling the fire. Um, so I said, you know what? I'm just going to go be in sales because uh, my dad's always been in sales. I like talking to people. And so I studied marketing, but it was, I changed my major so late that I couldn't even do like a sales concentration. So I was just a only marketing major, heavily aspiring to be in sales and it, and it worked out, but yeah. <laughs> so I have a random question about this. When you were, when you graduated, when, how long ago was that? Uh, height of COVID. Well, really the start of COVID 2020. Okay. So 2020. May of 2020. Yeah. When you graduated, as you went through your major, did you ever have classes on social media marketing specifically? Not really. I believe that the marketing department where I went is moving more in that direction. At the time, there wasn't great social media marketing. My wife was a JMC major, journalism and mass communications, and they had a little bit more of a focus on that. But actually, one okay. thing that has been really fun is I tell the story all the time. My freshman year of college, I was in a class and, and the professor in the business school said, okay, has anyone heard of LinkedIn? Crickets. So <laughs> then nope. we all like were required to make a LinkedIn account. And what That's it was told cool. to us is- okay, I like that. It, no, it was great. It was great. But they said, um, that, you know, you can put your resume on here. This can help you get a job one day. And so I made it, forgot my password for two years until <laughs> um, my junior year when a marketing professor, and this was really good. He actually had us post on LinkedIn twice a week. We hated it. Um, so he was a little bit on the cutting edge. However, it was more like find an article in the Wall Street Journal that resonates with you and share that, which okay. for the LinkedIn people like us, you know, probably not doing that, but at least we were getting off on the right foot. Now I actually have gone back to Sanford a few times and I'm begging them to get on LinkedIn in college. I've got like two guys I know in college that do it and they have any internship that they want because one, like nobody my age at 25 is like creating on LinkedIn. I say nobody. I know, I know Mondo obviously. And like, a couple oh other yeah, people. I'm little Mondo. <laughs> I know y'all are boys, but like, but nobody in college is doing that. And no, I really they're not. Think, it's a, it's a massively untapped market for twenty seven and under. Yeah, it's a huge opportunity there. And so I, I'm basically predicting that I'm telling all of them that hey, right now you're required to get a LinkedIn to pass the class. But in five years from now, hopefully sooner, they'll be telling you, hey, you need to start creating and everything like that. You don't have to be an expert. And I think right now LinkedIn is still new enough to where you can grow and meet a lot of people. But I think sooner than later, it's going to be like all the other platforms and be super crowded. It'll still be valuable, but I just think the sooner you can get started, the more connections you can make, the better. I, you I disagree with you a little bit, actually. So Ooh, I, agree, okay. I, I agree with you on the fact that um, every like before you're even out of college, when you're getting ready to do internships, you should absolutely be on LinkedIn. You need to be adding people who are in jobs, positions, or responsible for, you know, whatever type of industry that you're trying to get into to make connections, hopefully land like great internships, potentially get a job straight out of college, you know, whatever the case may be. Absolutely agree with that. I disagree with the fact that 
even though I think LinkedIn's a little above 800 million users right now, mm-hmm. the thing that drew me to LinkedIn and really caused me to make the, I'm primarily LinkedIn and YouTube right now. And even YouTube, I'm about to put more work into that, but I've been building a bunch of, you know, stuff for, you know, my company. And, um, and the reason I've really focused on LinkedIn is I'm like, well, number one, you have the highest net worth per user on LinkedIn. So there's mm-hmm. that. It's a professional network. So I think the thing that prevents, and this is kind of my basis for disagreeing with you a little bit on it becoming saturated. I think that because it's a professional network, nobody's putting out fake names or nicknames or anything like that. And it's a representation on how much money you're going to make, right? Because that's that's the only reason anybody's on LinkedIn. It's not just for the fun. It's getting a little bit more fun. You know, we're trying to have a little bit more fun with it. I put my stupid hotshot challenge up there today. I love you it. Know, but but at the end of the day, trolling on LinkedIn is virtually non-existent. There's very mm. little of it that happens because people know, man, I could legitimately get fired for this. Or I could like lose out on a deal or I mean, I get hired somewhere. I mean, that's a legitimate concern. And because of that, I think it keeps LinkedIn cleaner. But I think it also prevents people from ever bothering to post to begin with. So I just mm. don't see it ever because I do think more people will continue to post as they understand how building a personal brand can help you in literally every single walk of your professional career. But I think that there is always going to be a large part of the population that's on there who won't post just straight out of the fear of the potential repercussions from it. So that's why I think I don't know if it'll ever end up you know, like an Instagram. Now, sure, the algorithm, they'll continue to cut it down and they'll try to get you to pay to play eventually and all that other stuff that is the way of social media. But I I don't think it's ever going to be as saturated as any other platform, which is one of the reasons I'm focused on it. That's a really good point. We talked about that before because I, I think that my experience is different than most in that working at the company I do, I'm encouraged to be active on LinkedIn. And so I've never been somewhere that people turn their heads and go, Oh, what are you doing there? Right. You know, I haven't let's, had to fight let's talk about that. this. I think this is a really, really cool thing. And I don't run into this enough. And as I build my company, I am absolutely going to be taking on the attitude. Walk, walk everybody through. So for those of you, uh, you know, who are listening, me and Hampton, this is the first time we've actually ever talked. Um, one of the, we connected on LinkedIn. He has a fantastic brand, great profile picture. Uh, the banner is clean. Uh, he posts really good stuff on there. He has his own podcast. So he's doing all of this. And I was really surprised. And one of the reasons I asked him to be on the podcast was really surprised to find out that he is an employee. He is not a partner on this in, in this company. He's not a freelancer, not a solopreneur, anything like that. So he's actually working as an employee, has a nine to five, yet he has a robust, he's at, I'm looking at it now, 12,700 followers. Again, earned every bit of it, puts out great content. So talk to me a little bit about what your VP said to you when they kind of came to it and what that journey has been like being somebody who is uh, working in a company that sees LinkedIn as a benefit as compared to a, um, a risk factor, basically. When I started at WildSpark, I was a sales development rep, SDR, um, and I, SDRs, you guys are awesome. Yes. We love you. SDRs. I 
recovered my password because I hadn't logged on in over, you know, a year and a half. And I, I got on LinkedIn because I'm, of course, I'm looking for people, usually HR, like operations people that might be thinking about leadership development because that's what we do. I'm looking for people to connect with DM, you know, I'll embarrass myself if I look back a couple of years because it's just, <laughs> you know, pitch slap all day. We don't do that anymore, but used to. And, but when I started scrolling on LinkedIn, I, I, for a moment, I was like, is this, is this motivational Twitter? Um, <laughs> you, know, you, you like, you start seeing the, I, re, I mean, the first people I remember is really the McKee brothers, Eric and Darren, and then like Morgan Ingram, he posted a lot. Oh, Sarah Morgan Ingram, yeah, that's right. So there's, there's a handful of people and I was a little bit confused. And then actually, um, Josh Etris, he's a great follow. If anyone knows who that is, he, oh, used to, he, I might follow him. He seems familiar. Okay. Yeah. So he actually used to work at WildSpark um, oh, cool. and he, at the time shared with me, he said, I, I think you should get active on LinkedIn. And I said, well, I, I'm an SDR. I'm, I'm new into the workforce. What on earth do I have to share? And he goes, exactly. You don't have to act like you're an expert. Nobody wants to know that they, but it might be cool to hear your perspective as a, as a young professional and all of that. So I was kind of like, okay, I didn't really do anything about it. Well, a year later, Corey Tao comes along our VP of operations and he had a lot of exposure to organizations that have done some cool things on LinkedIn. And he said, I think we should try this. And so that is what got me to do it. And so obviously he didn't make anybody post on LinkedIn. Like that's out of some people's comfort zone. Some people don't want to do it, but we did this challenge where it was like, Hey, for 90 days, we're all going to do this together. You know, post a couple of times a week, comment on each other's stuff. And after doing that in Q4 of 2021, about three times a week, I decided at the start of 2022, because I'm kind of an all or nothing guy, that's a strength and a weakness. But I said, I'm either going all in or I'm quitting. And I said, let me try going all in. And so I I ended up having a lot of a lot of time, uh, more more time than because the biggest difference between LinkedIn and a lot of other social platforms is like, I feel like the easiest way to grow is like spending time engaging on the platform. We're like, YouTube or TikTok or something like that. If you post, it can like blow up on its own with LinkedIn. If you post below average comment, but uh, content, but you comment on 200 people's posts a day, like you're probably going to get pretty good engagement. No, it's (laughs) the absolute truth. And there is definitely an element to commenting on other platforms that will help you grow. But I agree with you. I don't know if they put as much of an onus on it as LinkedIn does. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I think it's cool because it, it creates opportunities for networking. Like, heck, that's how me and you know each other through LinkedIn and commenting on each other's stuff and everything. But, but all that said, I, I began getting active on LinkedIn and I really don't think it would have happened at least as soon as it did, if I did not have the support from our leadership team at WildSpark to do that. Now, why do some organizations not want their employees doing that? Well, is that taking away from company time or a big one I hear Oh, are they going to get recruited away and leave me? Well, one thing that I like to think about is I hadn't thought about that. Have I gotten more people reach out to me to come work for them since I've gotten active on LinkedIn? Of course I have. But if my VP of operations, Corey, is focused enough on developing me as a person, giving me the opportunities I want and fostering the culture that somebody doesn't want to leave, then he doesn't have to worry about that. And so even what's funny is Casey Graham used to be really active on LinkedIn. He once said that um, he goes, you know, your people are already open to other opportunities anyways, if one comes their way. So them posting on LinkedIn or not, like it might give them more opportunities, but you might as well get get some bang for your buck out of it. Meaning his whole company. That's a really good 
perspective, actually. I like that. Yeah. And so uh, we had at Wild Spark. We and had- I, when I wasn't posting on LinkedIn regularly, I was still getting recruiters and headhunters in my DMs all the time. I mean, as especially as I grew in my career, once I hit like senior AE in my title and things like that, I mean, I was in, I actually interviewed, I made it a point that this was uh, some of the best advice I got from my macroeconomics teacher in college. I don't remember anything in the class, but he always gave us this little life tips at the beginning of every one. And he said, when is the best time to start looking for a new job? And everybody had all these guesses about Ryan. He goes, the day that you start your new job. And Mm -hmm. basically what he was saying is, listen, you don't need to be, you you don't need to move on, but whether or not you want to get into management, whether or not you want to go somewhere else, you should always be looking and preparing for that next role. And, you know, there are a lot of different reasons behind that, but I totally agree. So at the end of every year, I, my, the first company I worked for out of college, I actually worked there for 10 to 11 years. But the reason that I stayed was because it was the best situation for me at the time. And I interviewed every single year for other jobs. And there were others that were willing to pay me more, but I was hitting winner circle, you know, president's club, whatever you call it. I was hitting that after my third year working like 35 hours a week. Like I had things on lock. So then I looked at how much I was making versus the time freedom that it provided. And I'm like, sure, I could get in and work at some of these other companies, make a little more money, but I'm going to be working almost twice as much. So I just Mm -hmm. decided not to because I valued that time freedom, you know, over just the financial freedom. Right. So that's a really good perspective. I like where your boss is coming. It's like, hey, leaders, guess what? Your people are getting recruited by headhunters anyway. Guess what? That's how they make money. (laughs) My brother is actually, uh, he has a recruiting firm. So this is what they do. They're going to find people on LinkedIn, regardless of whether or not they're posting or not. You might as well light that thing on fire and get as much productivity out of them as possible and let them post. So I love that perspective. And and I'm with you. It's also added a ton of value from a marketing standpoint because Company pages on LinkedIn are like at zero, so, so, zero, <laughs> but like your personal pages, when everybody sees your company name, um, like, like wild spark, people think we're five times the size that we are because we have five people that post a couple <laughs> times a week. You know, they think we're huge There's something and, to be said for that. There's something to be said for that. Absolutely. And we also, um, I, I've got a guy shout out to my friend, Gavin, who now works with us. We met because of LinkedIn. And so, um, that's, you know, we we're we're hiring people because of it because they see us engaging, they see us talking about what it's like to work here, and people say, "Well, I want to go work somewhere like that." So it's it's helping in a lot of a lot of different ways. And so, but but again, I recognize that I work somewhere that that's not necessarily normal. A lot of companies aren't encouraging their employees to get active on there, so it's easy for me to sit here and say, "Yeah, you should engage on LinkedIn." But if you're listening to this and you work somewhere that you think you're going to get eye rolls or people aren't going to like that. I know that's a totally different situation. I, I wish you all the best with it. But I, I mean, I told you, I, I worked for a boss one time who, when I, I was just dipping my toes into the water with LinkedIn, this is probably 2021, 2022, something like that. And I just, I just started posting. I was like, I don't know, let's just see what this is about kind of a thing. Didn't have a lot of direction on it, but I posted, I use a tool buffer to schedule my posts and my boss, you know, called me one day cause I, I work remotely and he was like, Hey, um, I noticed you were posting on LinkedIn and the timestamp was actually when we were in a meeting, you know, what was going on with that? And I just told him, I said, listen, man, I, 
if you noticed, I was like, the shirt that I'm wearing in that video that I posted is not the one that I was wearing in the meeting. I, <laughs> this is all scheduled. Like I don't, I'm not, you know, on there all the time, whatever. And he was like, okay, kind of let it go. But it's, you know, people are paying attention, right? So I get why workers would be a little concerned to post because they don't know how it's going to be taken. So to that fact, I would just say, look, just go talk to your boss about it. You know, whoever your manager is say, Hey, I think this would be beneficial if I started posting. So this is what I want to do. Do you have any problems with that? And, you know, see what the pushback is. I think the immediate things would maybe be company brand control. I think sometimes they're worried about that, to which I would respond, LinkedIn isn't about the company. LinkedIn's about me. My profile mm -hmm. is about me. I didn't ask Hampton Dorch of WildSpark to be on here. I asked Hampton Dorch to come on my podcast, right? The, the, the fact that you work at WildSpark is an afterthought. So I think that's important. And especially for salespeople, what do we know to be true? Regardless of what all the fear mongering about AI says, people buy from people. So mm -hmm. I think that by putting yourself out there, by building a personal brand, um, don't you don't even have to talk about your company. You can just talk about what you do at your company, your daily, your day to day stuff, whatever. I think that there's massive benefits to that. So I'm going to ask you, since you're doing this now working for it, what are some of the biggest benefits? Has it directed in additional sales? You've already told me that you brought on some you know, great employees because of it. Like, what are some of the big benefits that you've had building a personal brand on LinkedIn while working for another company? I would say the number one is the fact that it we found somebody to come work for us organically. Okay. And, yeah. and, and I think that's huge just to me personally, because that that's a real life, someone that wasn't necessarily loving their job. They see us and they see we have a job opening and I know them through LinkedIn. They talk to me, I give them a good reference and then boom, we're off to the races. So that one meant a lot to me. Um, it, uh, I, I have a list now on LinkedIn called good connections. Usually people that are probably over 40 years old who I've met through LinkedIn that have become mentors to me. And if a rainy day ever happened or something bad happened or I just needed advice, these are all people, none of which live potentially even in a bordering state of Alabama for the exception of like two of them mm. that I could call because I've either had them on my podcast or I've gotten That's to know them. Really important. And so there's, there's a, there's like a mentorship pipeline that has come to me and it's a, it's a global network. You just, everybody always talks about the importance of, you know, networking and everything. And of course, face-to-face, -face, like you can't beat that, but it's just given me a huge amount of people that I can learn from. And then from a sales perspective, I think if I reach out to somebody uh, and they click on my profile, they might be like, all right, you know what? I'm going to give this kid a couple minutes. Like he seems reasonable. You know, it's a, it's a quick snapshot to see what I'm about. And then, um, I think there was one more that I was trying to think about. I'll stop there for a second while I'm trying to think about, about Well, this. I mean, I'll tell you this right now. If if you reached out to me and I got on your LinkedIn, because who doesn't, you know, we all, you want to go to a restaurant somewhere or go, you know, visit a venue. What do you do? You check out the website. This is just your personal website if you don't have one, you know, from a professional perspective. So, yeah, I'm going to come through and say, okay, who is this dude? Click on it. And at the very minimum, you're well represented. You look like you have your crap together at first impression because that's what people I think don't really understand. Your first impression nowadays to customers and clients 
it's rarely ever the email or it's rarely ever your first meeting. It's the email that got their attention. It's them going to click on your LinkedIn. It's your first impression is normally digital. And that's why it may sound stupid, but making sure that your grammar in your first email is impeccable. Uh, like literally, I, I, I tell people all the time, it bugged me to no end that this one person reached out to me and never used a period. Like it just bugged me. It was a stupid thing, but it bugged me. It just, it, it makes me question, well, if they're not paying attention to that kind of a detail, putting forth their best foot forward right at the beginning of this so-called relationship, if there's going to be one, then what what other details are they, they going to skimp out on? Like it just mm-hmm. it puts this check in the back of my head that just doesn't need to be there. Just hit a period. <laughs> so, so I think your LinkedIn is an extension of that digital first impression. I look at it, I go, man, really great, re- great shot. Wish I had that much hair still nowadays, you know, <laughs> to be able to do stuff with that. Um, you know, fighting to keep what I got now. Uh, you got a really nice banner. It's all branded. You have the colors that are consistent with Wild Spark with the red. Um, yeah, man, it's really good. So I I think that that personal brand is going to help. Now, I want to hit on something you said because I am huge on this. I think this is one of the most overlooked aspects of success when people are trying to figure out what to do, and that is coaching slash mentorship, you know? And I love what you said, how you are building a list of people who are mentors to you. Because one of the things that I talk about in my true wealth circle uh, talked to you a little bit about this before. There's, you know, what I call true wealth is the balance of the four types of wealth, which is time wealth, financial wealth, social wealth, and health wealth. So social wealth is personal and professional networks. So when it comes to your professional networks, they say all the time, your network is your net worth. Well, there's a lot of truth behind that. And while we don't necessarily know how it's going to impact us in other forms of wealth, what is undoubtedly true is that it will prevent you from making mistakes that you probably otherwise would have made. It will probably give you knowledge and experience that would have taken you a lot longer to learn. Could you have figured it out on your own? Sure, eventually, maybe. But you're going to figure it out a lot faster if you're really listening. And then three, you just... There's the X factor. You never know how that relationship may come back into the play later on in the future if you're working at another company or whatever the case is. So you're 25 years old, right? Why was that something you actually paid attention to? Why was building a list of people you can reach out to? I think you said they were in you know 40s and up kind of a thing. Like what, what was it about... Like, do you have a history of coaching and mentorship that was really good? Did somebody give you this advice? Because that's not normal. And I wish it was. I wish more people did this. So break it down for Mm -hmm. me why you did that. I'll have to go back to even my childhood and thank my parents. I had awesome parents. I know we didn't all have that. I know some people may have a great mom or a great dad, maybe maybe both, maybe none. I had an amazing dad. He's my best friend, an amazing mom, love her to death. And so I think it started there. Um, they just poured into me so much. And then they always, we always went to church growing up. I was in youth group. I had people investing into me there. So that was like such a strong foundation. What I say is that halfway through college, all the things that my parents, um, other mentors, people who discipled me, people that have led me in Bible studies, coaches, teachers, all that stuff was up in my head. 
And I saw it slowly shift down like to my heart and really believe it and really live it. When I was like a junior in college, a huge part of that just has to do with me growing up in Alabama, Birmingham, Alabama, which is referenced as not the Bible Belt, but even the buckle of the Bible Belt, uh, where just every- <laughs> buckle of the, it does look like a buckle, actually. I can see that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But 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 the point being that like, quote, everybody goes to church. Everybody's a Christian. It's just right. a part of like your culture, if you will. And I think that that can be a really dangerous thing because you um you know, it, it just gets normal. You're not actually pursuing Jesus, you know, and, and that was me growing up. I just totally got kind of like comfortable with it. And so you that was like, in a garage. It doesn't make you a car. Yeah, exactly. There you go. I, I love it that way. Um, but there's just been this theme of people pouring in to me throughout my lifetime. And I've received just so much value and so much love and, and grace. And, and the coolest part is, you know, you're not, people don't pour into you for the sake of it. They pour into you so that you can, you know, first receive it and pour into yourself and lead yourself, but then so you can go lead other people. Like yes. at, um, you know, if you look at uh, discipleship, you know, that's what Jesus did. He had 12 mm-hmm. people and they went and that's how, you know, we're here today. Same thing with leadership. It's like the best leaders don't just delegate tasks and build followers. They delegate authority and empower and build other leaders. And exactly. so like, I feel like for me, Growing up, I was always told that I was a, quote, natural born leader. Really, what I've come to find is what that mostly means is that I'm not afraid to stand in front of people and talk in front of a room. But one thing that I've learned is that, like, there's people who make it really far in life because of high levels of charisma, but their character doesn't match and they eventually get exposed. Yep. Um, And so that's where I've I've had a test and really just ask myself, like, do you, you know, yeah, you can stand in front of people. Maybe you can motivate and inspire people, but until they know you actually care about them, you're only going to go so far. And so the the whole point that I'm trying to get to is my whole life through sports or stuff in school or fraternity in college or stuff on campus. I I had all these leadership titles, but then now I'm in this sweet spot where, because I graduated college, I'm, I'm a quote freshman, you know, I'm I'm at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, and so I'm in this sweet spot where I assume I'll be leading formally. You're a leader, whether you have a title or not, let me get that clear, but I'll be leading formally at some point, maybe forever. But right now, as I'm in this sweet spot, I'm just soaking it all in. I want to learn as much about, about business and marriage and fatherhood. And I really think that I, I feel like God made it pretty clear to me, like, Hey, I've got you in this spot where you can almost be selfish for a minute so mm. that you can lead yourself so that you can lead other people. And by the way, and I'll, I'll, I'll be down here in just a second, but the reason that I started my podcast, which I call Wake Up and Lead, is because I spent, I've spent the last three years talking to business owners and mm-hmm. HR leaders that tell me, hey, we have managers that have gotten promoted because they were the best sales rep or because oh, they were the right. best operationally. So we've made our, our star player a coach and they don't necessarily transfer. And so no, what I started no. thinking about is, okay, all of us right now who are 22 to 26 years old, you could be super driven. And what's going to happen is if you crush it in your career, you're going to be asked to be a manager one day and you're not, you're not going to know how to lead people. Now, so much of it, you can only learn once you're in the role, but why don't we start learning how to lead ourselves first through social financial health time? Like I'm with you. So let's learn how to lead ourselves so that one day we can lead our families and the people at work and the people in our communities and so that we can mentor other people. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I am in my life right now and why I'm, I will always, uh, talk to somebody, 
um, or I will always have somebody coach or mentor me. I need it. <laughs> well, I listen, we have very similar upbringings. I was the same way. And honestly, probably a lot of mine um, stems out of uh, pride. <laughs> that, that was oh, yeah. the reason that I did it because growing up, I knew uh, I was not a naturally humble person. Um, and growing up in church and different things like that, obviously that wasn't something I was proud of. Um, but it was just something I always struggled with and I was a very capable person. So I was doing things really well. Well, then you get into college and you get into, you know, the real world and different things like that. And you have to learn how to do these things. And it's like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I started sales in 2009, January, 2009, when the world was on fire and I had a terrible manager, zero people skills. Um, you know, what, it was so stressful. I'll never forget that um, I was walking down the aisle one day and one of the girls that worked at the end of the aisle, I'm walking past her to like go to the bathroom or something. And all I hear her do is just say, Steven, in this weird voice. And I turn to her and she is passing out in her chair. Like she is falling down and I catch her. And that's how stressful things were. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. So the way that I learned in the way that I made it through those times and eventually succeeded was by realizing, number one, I hate losing. And number two, you know, I'm just like, I, I don't want to be the one who like has to take forever to figure this out. So I constantly sought after rooms for people who were smarter than me. And that was something my dad instilled in me uh, as really early on when we were playing basketball. So we would go to this gym and you had court A and court B. They ran it, you know, half court. And court B, those are the losers. Those are guys that weren't very good or whatever. But the problem was court A was all the really good guys. And if you lost on court A, well, you'd probably have to wait two to three games before you'd get back on again. So a lot of people would just go play court B because if you were halfway decent, you could play more. My dad never let me play on court B as long as he was there. He was like, you're going to go be on court A. And you're going to learn and you're going to get beat up and you're going to play against guys that are bigger and faster than you because that's how you're going to get bigger than faster and smarter. And I took that mentality through everything. And between my dad, um, you know, youth pastors that I had growing up, other pastors, um, you know, coaches in sports, different things like that. I'm with you. It it was it, it and, and I think for as a Christian. I think it's interesting too. I hadn't really thought about it like this, but for people who are involved in church growing up in their young lives, there is a natural uh, element of coaching at every mm -hmm. single stage between, you know, maybe you got a, your, your children's Sunday group, whatever, then you get into youth group, then you're a little older, it's college group, whatever. So it's like, there is this natural acceptance that we have of being open to coaching and mentorship. So I never actually thought about it that way until you said it. And I was like, man, I, I could see where a lot of that came from. So for me, I think it was a combination of the two. It was this, I don't want to lose <laughs> and be embarrassed anymore. So I'm just going to go learn from the smartest people in the room. But then I think I was also open to that, even though I wasn't naturally a humble person. Because to be open to coaching, you have to be humble. Mm -hmm. And that was the dichotomy that I kind of ended up finding myself. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting point, but it will, that mentality that you have will serve you so much in the future. I mean, it's just 
absolute goal to be able to have people like that. And I think one of the big things I've had the privilege to be uh, a mentor to a lot of people in a lot of different aspects of life and, you know, professional and personal. And I'm constantly, you know, seeking mentorship and coaching for myself as well. And one of the things that I can absolutely say to anybody listening without a doubt is if you put in the effort, if you hold up your end of the bargain in some type of coaching dynamic, it doesn't matter what it is. But if you go to somebody and say, will you help me with this? And you make it, number one, you make it easy for them. Because if you go to somebody who's not traditionally a coach, like one of the best coaches I ever had was a guy probably worth about $40 million net worth. And I just wanted to learn from him. And I set it up. I said, listen, I know your time is precious and valuable. I know I don't have a lot to bring to this, but I'm eager and I want to learn. Would you give me a lunch once a month? We could even do a virtual, whatever. So I set it up. I was responsible for it. If he had a reschedule, I was on his time. I would reschedule. But if the meeting was set, I was always there. I did not reschedule on him. And because of that, he was a mentor for me for two years. And the things I learned from this guy, invaluable. I, I mean, better than an MBA. You know what I mean? So I'm just saying that to say that if you are intentional and you can find somebody that you really look up to, it's very rare that as long as you're showing the effort and the initiative and you're respectful of that person's time, it's very rare that you're going to find somebody that doesn't want to give it back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really believe that's true. And I'm sure your mentality, you know, as you're soaking it up right now and being selfish, I have no doubt that when you're done with this moment and your time to be in leadership in any other kind of way, somebody comes to you, I know you're going to be the kind of person to give it back. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely ready, definitely ready to do that for sure. That's awesome, man. Well, that's uh, that's it. really, really exciting stuff. And I think again, circling back to LinkedIn, I mean, it, it's crazy. So who's, you don't have to give me names or anything like that, but like, give me an idea of the one of the people that you have as a potential mentor. And you're just like, there's no way outside of LinkedIn, I ever would have gotten in touch with this person. Like, oh, okay. Well, I know exactly the story. And actually, well, this one's crazy. I, um, I was very frustrated one time uh, prospecting in sales. And so I was like, I'm going to find the perfect person for me to reach out to in every possible way. So I went on LinkedIn sales navigator to like put in all these different credentials and I type in like CEO culture leadership, Jesus. Like I literally type in like, all no this way. Stuff. Okay. like <laughs> three people in the United States of America come up. And this person is one of them. Uh, I'll say it. Keith Cantor. I think I've, okay. I've released a podcast with him. Uh, he's the CEO of First Community Mortgage. And um, so in, they're in Nashville. And so we got to know each other really well. And I've just learned a lot from him over the last year or so. Um, actually, what ended up happening, though, is he through LinkedIn. And this is just like an opportunity that came out of nowhere he kept in touch with me and was like, Hey, my son is a sophomore at Alabama. Will you mentor him? And that so, so cool. It has been pretty cool. So I I'm, I'm in between both of them because Keith and I meet up once a quarter now and okay. I'm, I'm learning from him. We always like read a book um, and then just talk about life and marriage and business and goals. And then I'm doing like the same thing <laughs> with his son. Uh, so, so it's pretty, that's cool. amazing. That is so, amazing. Yeah. 
It's been so, a lot of fun. <laughs> so when you when you meet with them, I mean, dude, that's so I mean, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. Proof is in the pudding. I mean, he even put Jesus in the credentials for crying out loud. <laughs> I mean, that's hyper specific on a professional network. A couple of people will put it on there, and that's great. I love that. But it's just like it's one of those things. It's not Facebook. You don't list your interests on there. You know what I mean? So it's unusual that people will put something personal about them uh, as part of it. So that's amazing. But when you're meeting with him on a quarterly basis, that's a great cadence, by the way. You know, he's busy. Uh, you know, you're being respectful of his time, you know, kind of a thing. It's not a lot, but you're still getting a sure a ton of value, you know, learning from this guy. What what does that look like for you? What what kind of give me an example for, you know, people who have never done mentorship before, never had any kind of coaching, different things like that. What What kind of questions are you asking? What's the format of that meeting like? So this is Keith's idea. He had done, he's done this with somebody else for 10 years and he might he might not call himself the mentor and me the mentee but like he definitely is uh just based off experience and age and everything cuz really what we're doing is like the first time that we met um and and I've he and I have like texted and stuff sort of informally over the last year and a half to two the, the more like formal quarterly thing, like we're about to meet for the second time. So we haven't been doing this like super okay. long, but like the first time it was like, okay, I'll come to Birmingham. So he's in Nashville, three hours away. You pick the book, you pick the location, you pick dinner. Oh, so like, wow. He's actually going to get with you in person. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and we'd like text and talk on the phone and stuff like that. But I picked <clears> the reading <throat> dinner, picked the location, uh, picked the book that we were reading. And then we got together and we, we talked about the book. Um, talk about life, marriage, um, business, what's going on there. Um, and really, so there wasn't like a, a super formal, but we're really just hitting on all the different domains of your life. I mean, similar to even the ones that you talk about with social, financial health time, like all of those things, we're just talking to each other about both of them. And then I'm, you know, mostly asking him questions about that. Now in two weeks, I'm going to Nashville. Um, and, he's picked a book and I'm going to his house and we're going to go to dinner somewhere. Wow, and so very cool. that's just, that was his thing. He's done that with somebody for 10 years and we're on quarter two. So we'll see if he keeps me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, that's amazing. So when you get there, you read the book. So it's just kind of like a discussion. Hey, this is what I got from it. You know, what did you get? And then you're just kind of, you know, iron sharpens iron kind of a thing. Yeah. And we'll both come with like, um, and mostly me, like I'll come with like questions, specific ones I have for him. Like I've got a baby on the way or uh business stuff or, you know, house stuff, just stuff like that. So, yeah, that's great. So wh what's important for you at this stage in life? You're 25 years old, you're married, you have a daughter on the way, first kid, congratulations, you know, but you're also 25. Most people at 25 nowadays <laughs> I mean, they might just be graduating college almost, depending on how long it took them. Uh, maybe they're in their first stage of their career. But the average person, you know, according to the data, doesn't really get married till closer to 29, 30, give or take. And, you know, different things like that. So what what was kind of the mentality for you as, uh, you know, you were kind of a little bit further ahead of, you know, the trends, I guess you could say? Mm-hmm. I can't claim this because I didn't come up with it, but I don't know who said it, but I say it all the time. Treat your 20s as an internship for the rest of your life. That's okay. what I'm doing right now. Okay. I love that. Learn before you earn. I, I mean, I'm definitely earning. I'm not living in a box, but I also <laughs> am like, 
I think that, sure, there's lots of money to be made and you can make a lot of money in your 20s. You can make a lot of money whenever. But like, I believe that the more I can learn about life and about business and about sales, the the less problems I'm going to have in my 30s, 40s and 50s Mm. deciding what I want to do, what business I want to start, how I'm going to sell networking, stuff like that. So I think so often people are in this rush to find their dream job or make as much money as they possibly can. Um, If you really want to know about this listener, I can tell you about this another time, but like, I love my job so much at wild spark. I love hearing that. I really do. But there's a lot of people that would, you know, on paper, they might take the job that pays them 10,000 more a year than this. They're not thinking about the time freedom that, which I know you talk about that. I've got, Lots of time. I'm on a podcast in the middle of work. My whole office is right outside my window and they know that I'm doing this. Like this is not technically work. Like, so there's lots of, I'm just in a place that wants me to grow. My CEO says, if you can date your spouse, coach your kids and serve in your community, like he's happy. And he wants to tee us up to help us win at work. Leadership. That's, that's, that's it. So, I mean, here's wild spark, ladies and gentlemen, (laughs) listening who needs leadership training. I mean, you've got a company that's living it. So that's awesome. Yeah. So I I'm, and I'm just really grateful that I landed here. So so in my twenties, I'm just trying to learn as much as I possibly can, because I don't think I, I don't think I know a lot yet. You know, I'm 25. I know, I know sometimes young people think they know everything, but I definitely don't. And then (laughs) as far as like getting married and um, having a kid, like, I think sometimes the world and society and everyone's entitled to do whatever they want, but I, I feel like they might look at like getting married as, oh, your, your fun, your fun years in your life is kind of, you know, you're, you're signing that away. And then when you have a kid it's definitely over. And of course <laughs> I don't, that my baby is not here quite yet, but the people around me that I work with that a lot of are like maybe three, four, five years older than me and have a couple of kids. I'm, I'm watching the way that they, um, interact with their families and the way that they interact with their kids and they see their kids as like an asset, not a liability, you know? And, and, and I'm sure it's hard. And I know you can speak to that. I know it's hard, but like, I, we're called to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You know, I want to, I want to have kids that I can mentor and disciple, you know? Right. And why not start now? (laughs) Well, you know, you bring on a, a interest. We're at an interesting cultural inflection point. One thing, uh, I, I have a love-hate relationship with TikTok. Uh, now it's a little bit more of a love relationship since I have to post on it every day for my hotshot experiment. But one thing I like about TikTok is the the weird places I find myself, right? Like at really interesting cultural inflection points. One of the most interesting ones I think I found was uh, gay conservative TikTok, <laughs> right? And I have a friend of mine. Um, he's a designer here in town. And he's actually a gay conservative. And he talks about like, he, he loves to joke that he's actually the most discriminated against uh, demographic in America. <laughs> he's like, people on the right don't like me as much. And he's like, and then people on the left hate me even more. So it's it's really funny. We have we, he's, he's got a great sense of humor about it. But, uh, but through that, you know, it's just one of those interesting things. I love seeing different perspectives, you know, things happening around the world that you just don't see on other social media like France, I had no idea France was on fire recently. If it wasn't for TikTok, it wasn't on the news at all. What you typed in France on Instagram, you just got beautiful pictures of the Eiffel Tower. But get on TikTok and it's like, oh yeah, it's on fire. They're you know throwing a fit. So 
I say all that to say the interesting thing that I found recently is this cultural inflection point to where, and, and I do believe that I think the mindset that we have around culture, we can tend to make things worse than they really are if we feed too much into the BS that we get fed on social media. So, but there is a, there has always been a battle of the sexes, so to speak, right? But I do think that we're at this really interesting inflection point where it's not even so much about a battle of the sexes, but it's like a battle over personal freedom. And children are kind of becoming a part of that now. And you're starting to see this very strange narrative around how children are liabilities. Now, listen, I got three kids. Kids aren't cheap. All right. Like they're just not, especially nowadays. And, you know, they were, it was a lot easier to have my parents had five kids when they were young and my dad had one job and they lived in a fair and did not get paid well, by the way, one job, you know, it was single income family. And we still lived in a half decent neighborhood. That's not really the reality for the majority of places in America right now. Like for a lot of different reasons, wages have just not kept up with the cost of living. That all being said, Children are the greatest gift, the ultimate, you know, test of character and, you know, just the one thing that will make you truly joyful in this world. So it's interesting to see this very anti-kid narrative that you're starting to see creep up in certain aspects of culture. And sometimes it's centered around money. I had somebody actually ask to be on my podcast. Um, I got a request from them. And they are a financial planner for childless or unchild or whatever they called it, people and people who Mm. just choose not to have kids. And listen, if that's you and you're somebody out there, obviously there's people who can't have children, totally different story. But for the people who can, I'm not trying to demonize those life choices or anything. If you're like, oh, I just want to opt out to have kids. My brother and his wife, they chose not to have kids. I said, great. Knowing him and his lifestyle, it's probably great for everybody. So, but at the same time, I look at it and I just, I I just want people to think about it a little more and go, what, what are, what do you think you're going to do in your thirties and forties that is going to be so much better than, you know, raising the next generation. People want to complain about the generations, you know, that come before them. It's like, well, maybe if we, as our generation, take it upon ourselves to raise the next generation better, then maybe we won't be complaining about them in a few years. So all that being said, I guess the question for you is why in the world at 25 would you decide to have a kid and give up sleeping in, brunch with the wife, you know, sex whenever you want to have it, you know, kind of thing, all this other stuff. Why did you and your wife, or was it a complete accident, a happy accident, whatever, why did you guys decide at 25? And I guess to go with this, how long have you two been together and been married? You know, what 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 was the thinking behind this? Because I think that that's an important mindset that's not getting enough attention right now that people need to hear. When our daughter comes, we will have just been married for three years. Okay. And it wasn't an accident. And um, I mean, pe- the people that you're around have an influence on your life. What do, you, what do people say you're in average of the five people you spend most of your time with a lot of the people I'm around, including my sister, including my, my boss, one of my coworkers, like they all have kids and they love them. And they all say, and I've all, and I've witnessed their lives get better. They get less sleep. They spend more money. They have less freedom, but 
But I think we have a lot of joy and satisfaction in life uh, when we can learn something called servant leadership and we can be selfless, yep. you know, uh, and I know that it is going to be a character test for me. Like I know that I can be very selfish, but I also know that like there's so much joy when you when you multiply, you know, when you when you um, invest in someone else. I mean, I also think about the fact of like I have more energy today than I probably ever will. Like I, I want to be young. I want to be fun with my kids. Do I have as much money as you know, I could, if I waited a little bit longer, maybe not. So maybe my kid doesn't wear brand new clothes off the rack. Sorry, buddy. You won't remember it anyways, but like, right. or I guess she's a daughter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but also, I mean, I look at my parents, they had me around my age. So I think that that influences as well. I have memories of just my parents. You're totally playing into this Bible belt uh, stereotype, by the way. Yeah. Just, somebody from New York's listening to this right now going, oh my gosh, like these damn Southerners and all their kids. You know? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely you know, am. You're right. You got us. We don't care. We love it. <laughs> so. Yeah. But I mean, my parents are now, you know, in their, in their lower to mid fifties and all three of their kids are married out of the house. That's a really important it. point. There is something to be said for getting married young, having kids young, because I've got friends like that. Me and my wife, we didn't meet till a little later on in life. I think we were 20, I was 26. She's two and a half years older than me. So she was maybe 29 or something like that. And there's something to be said for the fact that if you have kids really young, dude, y'all are going to be like, like 50s, 50s, the new 40. It, it might even be the new 35 nowadays. Okay? <laughs> we're just taking better care of ourselves nowadays than, you know, people were in the 70s and 80s. But it's like, uh, I tell people all the time, I'm like, go watch the Golden Girls. Look, look up the Golden Girls. They were in like their early 40s when they started filming that. And they look like they're 70. But anyway, so, but the point is, it's like, you're going to be in your 40, 45, 50, whatever. And if you have two, three more kids, whatever, and you space them out around two years, y'all be empty nesters and you're still going to be in great shape. You'll be able to travel. So it's not, you might be foregoing it for a little while, but it's not a bad thing. Like you're going to pay for it one way or the other on either end of the spectrum. So yeah, mm. it's a great perspective. Not a lot of people talk about. I, I think our society sucks at delayed gratification. Uh, oh, and I'm speaking terrible. to myself in, in certain areas. This, like This has ruined it completely. Yeah. Your, your phone has absolutely ruined it. And, and man, the longer you can wait for something, like if you can learn patience, it pays off in so many areas of, of life. And I'm just now, I'm just now really starting to learn that, but I think that I'll be thankful one day that we started having kids now. I mean, one of my boss was like, when he had his first kid at 24, he was like, I wish we just started earlier. <laughs> and I know, so, again, I know some people are listening to this like, okay, come on, dude. But also to your, the other point that I'll make real quick is I saw a stat and I've got to find this because I, I want it to be accurate, but it was something along the lines of like music today, a vast, like the, the percentage of songs talking about me, me, me and my problems and everything that's wrong with me has gone way up instead of what every song used to be about, which was love, <laughs> which of course, like, not that that's like great, but it's, I just think that we live in a society that's all about self and all about me. Mm -hmm. And we, you, you're not going to find joy if you're always just like thinking about yourself. Like you've, there's so much joy found in like serving and loving other people. Some of the wealthiest people in the world that don't need to work a day again in their life, go and teach at Harvard because they, they, 
that maybe they get bored. Maybe they want to like invest in the next generation because even if you make all the money in the world and can do whatever you want, you know, picking up seashells for the rest of your life on your nice beach might not be that satisfying once you get there. Well, and one of the best definitions of success that I've ever heard was this guy. And he said, success is getting old and your children still wanting to be around you. And I thought that when you really think about that statement, there's so many layers to that in what that means. Cause you can have children. doesn't mean they want to be around you. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so much about that in what that means Um, that I I just thought that was a great definition of it. And the other thing is this, listen, for a lot of these people think 40 years ahead, 50 years ahead. If, if you're, if you live that long, who's going to take care of you? I mean, that's a real element. My, my parents and my wife's parents are just now getting to the stage where they are experiencing real health problems. We just went through a huge cancer, uh, stage four cancer with my mother-in-law, nine months of heavy chemo and radiation. And, you know, my father-in-law, while he's in pretty decent shape, he's in his 70s. And we were, me and, uh, and my wife's sister-in-law, who lives in the same town, and uh, her family, we were integral in the caretaking for them in a lot of aspects to it. So guess what? That's going to be us. We're all going to get old. <laughs> Our bodies are going to start to fail us. If you don't have that natural support system with children, I, I mean, you're kind of screwing yourself over in the future. So, you know, it's it's an interesting, I love your perspective. I love um, what you're doing. I tell tell people all the time, I'm like, you should never be scared to get married young. I don't understand people who want to date for seven years. I, like, I don't, I don't get that. Technically, by common law, you're married. So it's like, you might as well experience the benefits of it. And if you meet the one early on, go spend the best years of your life with them you know, wait five, six years if you want to have kids. Who cares? But at least, you know, commit. Because I, I, I agree with you. I think, I think what we have in general is not just a delayed gratification problem. We have a commitment problem. We can't even commit to a TV show anymore because mm-hmm. we have anxiety about, well, I only have so much time to watch TV and then social media. And, well, this, this TV show is already four seasons in and I could stream it. But what about all the other ones that are out there? And a lot of time we just end up going back to The Office or Parks and Rec or some other show that we've already watched a hundred times, but we know, hey, at least I know I'm going to enjoy this, right? It's a, we live in a world with too many options. And it's in the, the ironic thing about freedom is that freedom, true freedom, is found through focus and limitation. It's not found in unlimited options. Anxiety and stress is found in unlimited options. And I won't get into it now, but that's a whole other problem with uh, dating and a bunch of other things that we have right now going on in culture. So like I said, I love the culture uh, discussions. I love different people's perspectives. I'm not hating on anybody's walk, but I do think that there's certain elements of how people choose to do things that need to be represented. And there was a Wall Street Journal poll that was done recently and it showed um, a couple different categories. I don't remember them all, but it showed, uh, and this was evenly split between um, Democrats, Republicans, and independents. So it was politically even. And it said, where would you rank things that, you're, that you consider extremely important versus no important? And it was 
religion, um, community involvement, uh, uh, patriotism. And there was another thing that, you know, people identify with and community and all that. And they had all plummeted over the past 20 years. The only thing that had gone up and gone up in double digits that people said were strongly important to them was money. Mm. So everything community-based dropped. Everything individually-based went up. And I, wow, that's, that's where we are. And I, I personally, that's a hill I'm willing to die on and say that's not good for anybody. We are not, oh, yeah. we are not creatures that are meant to be alone. Couldn't agree more. I, I think that we, uh, the, the enemy for, um, for us to, you know, yeah. we, we know who that is, but the enemy of whatever you are, whatever you believe, it's a good thing that they're going to be happy if you're isolated, period. You know, yeah. if you're with other people, you're going to find a lot more joy in life. Think of your life as a cup. And like, if we all have a cup, sometimes it's overflowing. Sometimes it's, it's not. When, you're, when your cup is overflowing, it's not for the heck of it. It's so that you can pour out to the people around you. And Absolutely. guess what? When it's not overflowing, it's a little bit dry, the people around you pour into you. And I think there's a hack somewhere. I think I think God, I think God rigged it this way. But if I've got a group of five men in my life, there has never been a time where all five are deeply suffering. There's always there's always one, two, three, mostly a lot of them that are doing well that can pour into absolutely. Yeah. So like it's not like there's always somebody around um to pour into you, but community is built, not found. And I think when uh you graduate college, which is what I'm sharing with a lot of my peers, you've been your whole life has been scripted for you uh through sports and school and organizations and i know there's plenty of people lonely growing up but you're more likely to have friends and then when you graduate college you're working 40 plus hours a week and then you go home and probably binge netflix because you're tired and you're scared to go out and meet people and then all of a sudden that can lead to isolation and then no wonder we're gonna have all this depression and anxiety like we were definitely meant for community with other people one one yeah you don't have to be religious at all to to understand that concept one in ten people right now report extreme loneliness and that is just a heartbreaking stat you know and it's one of those things i mean like you said you graduate college you if you move right and you don't live in your hometown and even if you do i moved back to my hometown after you know uh for a while and most of my friends were gone or in different stages of life at that point so it's like after college you don't have a natural built-in friend group anymore and for a lot of people it ends up being co-workers and let's just call it what it is you can work with some really great people, but it doesn't necessarily translate to a friendship that's going to last whenever that job ends. So that's just kind of, it's more, you know, maybe you're building friends through proximity. It's not always the case and it's great when it's not, but that can happen. So it's a, it's an interesting thing, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. We need community. I think it's incredibly important. We need each other. And uh, you know, when we, when we stop, uh, this message of, you know, only focus on yourself and you start focusing on, you know, what you can give to others. I think people are going to wake up pretty quickly and go, you know what, it's way more rewarding to give than to get. It's also a lot more effective way to build true friendships. So, Mm -hmm. well, Hampton, thank you so much, man. I want to respect the fact that you are working. I want to take too much time away from your boss, but I could have, we could have Joe Rogan this thing, man, and done a five hour episode, I think, you know, so next time just, you know, we'll, we'll bring on some drinks and stogies like they do on there and we'll just go five hours on it. So. <laughs> Let's do it, man. I really appreciate you having me, Stephen, and, and, and love what you're doing. This was awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think that uh, there's 
just so much. I mean, like I said, no agenda, and we hit on some really great topics, I think. This has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I'm not 40, um, but if it, you can stick me on that list if you ever want, man. Anytime you want to reach out, would love to work with you and uh, you know help you along. And like I said, <clears throat> when it comes to babies, man, get that sleep. Get that sleep. You guys are going to need it. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> Thanks, All right, man. man. Appreciate well, it. Great talking to you. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Yeah. See ya.